This is Bail Street, Crime, Finance, and Everything in Between. Hosted by Ira Jettelson, bail bondsman to the stars, and Danny Moses of The Big Short fame, this is Bail Street. Welcome to Bail Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettelson. This episode of Bail Street, we have the Tesla whistleblower lawyer, Stuart Meisner, on the phone. He's going to talk about his clients, how they're pursuing it, his thoughts on Tesla, his thoughts on other unnamed potential uh, whistleblowers which are out there who he's in contact with, and just an overall feel. I know, Ira, how you feel about whistleblowers in general. Rats. Rats, except unless you can make a lot of money, you let me know what whistleblowers are out there, and we'll, we'll try to get you to Stuart. So with that, uh, let's welcome Stuart Meisner onto the show. Stuart, maybe if we can start with kind of the background on how you got into this. Uh, as far as how I got into it, you know, my background uh, before I went to private practice was uh, Manhattan DA uh, and then the uh, state attorney general's office, uh, investor protection unit, and then uh, the financial crimes units in the attorney general's office. Uh, so I basically went criminally after uh, money managers, financial swindlers, what have you, and would uh, uh, indict them and put them in jail. Stuart, what years were they? I was in the DA's office, eight, uh, 88 to... Uh, 95, okay. and uh, Attorney General's office from 1995 to about 2000. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, so then I, I did a short stint of a year as an in-house counsel for an Internet company. This is right before the whole Internet debacle of 2001 for an Israeli uh, 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 company uh, here in New York. And uh, as general counsel, and then uh, they uh, decided to save money and have outside uh, counsels, so I Can't trust opened Israelis. up my own practice and decided to utilize everything I, I did as a prosecutor uh, in basically private practice and representing investors and going after you know Morgan Stanleys of the world, UBSs, what have you, and uh, so I did a lot of that uh, during the whole internet uh, collapse. Yep. Uh, tech wreck of 2001, uh, and then again, another uh, wave of what happened with the 2009 uh, real estate debacle. Uh, and then those type of cases kind of trailed off with the market uh, doing well, and I transitioned to doing more of the uh, employment disputes in the securities industry, because they also go to FINRA, same type of arbitration, uh, and basically represent an individual um, uh, brokers and financial advisors against their firms, Morgan Stanley, again, same companies, UBSs of the world, for bonus disputes and uh, con- contractual disputes and uh, regulatory filings, and at the same time involved in uh, that both the SEC and FINRA in dealing with uh, regulatory investigations on the defense side. Um, so I, I basically had the background of both you know, the criminal, uh, the regulatory, uh, securities, as well as employment, uh, which all those factors come into play when it comes into this whole SEC whistleblowing practice. So when I, when I heard and read about the, the you know, the, the component, that component of the Dodd-Frank Act, which is where the SEC whistleblower statute comes from, the Dodd-Frank uh, Act, uh, it, it seemed like natural for me to get into that because... Uh, there are components of needing to know criminal law in case whoever's calling you may have a criminal liability there. 
there's a component of obviously securities law uh, in, you know, obviously it has to be a violation of security statutes for the SEC to, to pursue it. And there is often a component of employment law because generally, not all the time, but most of the time, you're talking about employees or ex-employees of the firm uh, that's being whistleblowed on. Uh, and then uh, on top of that would be general whistleblowing law, which at least for this particular statute, there was none uh, because it's a brand new statute. So I took the initiative in getting involved in uh, not just promoting the statute and getting clients and filing, but in the development of the SEC rules, uh, there was about a year after the statute actually went into effect before there was even a, uh, a SEC whistleblower office or a head of that office. So you could be filing things, and uh, it was somewhat haphazard. Uh, they, there was certain requirements in the law itself that was passed, but the SEC needed to formulate rules to implement uh, to how to how to implement the entire statute. Uh, to break it down. So that was about a year process, and during that year process, they uh, asked for a comment, public comment. During that time frame, I think there was maybe one or two other lawyers or law firms that were on the whistleblower side. The vast majority, 90% uh, of the input was coming from the other side, uh, large white shoe firms, and, and basically trying to water down the statute, make it uh, much more difficult for whistleblowers to uh, avail themselves of the rule and the law and to get bounties. So it was, a, it was somewhat of an uphill fight at that point in, uh, in as far as, you know, who was lobbying the SEC. And certainly I participated in that, in that process and uh, gave various comment letters. And eventually I met with actually commissioners uh, at the time um, as well as uh, submitted written comments on various uh, proposed rules that they had concerns about. And eventually, they, that altered the the regulations that are in play. If you look at the the rules that are in play right now, um, that's why uh, they, they give reference to me regarding various changes they made to the rules as a result of uh, our input. Well, they just made a change oh. recently where they lowered the amount that they would pay. I think the range is ten to thirty percent, but they're lowering, or in many cases, when people were getting potentially thirty percent, it's now being dropped slightly for various reasons. I didn't see the exact reason, but I saw that come out recently, if that was correct. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a proposal. It's not passed yet. Okay. I mean, it's open for public comment right now. It's somewhat of a, somewhat confusing, actually. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, so, I think there was somewhat, somewhat, some concern, and that was not a unanimous uh, decision even to consider it. Uh, it was a majority vote by uh, the Republican majority uh, on the commission uh, uh, that to, you know, I think they were... Uh, taken aback by the law. There were recent large whistleblower awards uh, due to the amount of fines that were given out by the SEC. Uh, I think it, the uh, the uh, whistleblower or whistleblowers got about $80 million. Bank of America, right? That was the Bank of America. Yeah, Merrill Lynch or yeah, J.P. Morgan. I'm, I'm not sure. It was one of the banks, yeah. uh, one of the corporate uh, investment banks. So yep. uh, I think, you know, one whistleblower getting $80 million, is a, you know, they were very concerned about that. I and mean, the counterpoint on that was, well, you know, if you, you know, a lot of the senior, senior people that are going to be giving up information are making a lot, multi, multi-million dollars. And so if it's not attractive for them enough to come forward, then they're just not going to do it because they – uh, really risk their careers uh, in, in, in doing this. And uh, it's really the exception, not the rule, where people come forward. And it's only after they try to do something internally 
first. So that, at least in my experience, Stuart, let's have a two come forward. Yeah. Last thing before we get into nitty gritty of Tesla here, um, you bring up a great point that when the markets are going well and stock markets are up, you're always going to have fewer cases for everything. It's when the clothes come off and the market goes down right. and companies face. So Ira would certainly be excited if there's more bails that are going to be coming forward from people committing crimes. But <laughs> do you think that the SEC is able to handle potentially what may be coming down the pipe in that case? Because they seem a little bit understaffed to me. Is it- yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, they, since, uh, since the new administration has taken over, I believe they, they instituted a hiring freeze. So although they didn't lay any more no, one off, they're not replacing the people who are leaving. And people are leaving. They leave all the time. Yeah, they go to private. So they are, uh, no money in fact, uh, reducing their staff. And uh, there's only so much they can do. And I do, do think it shows in the amount of enforcement actions that have been uh, have been filed, as well as uh, there's obviously a different philosophy regarding fines that are being imposed, which is not a good thing either for uh, to encourage people to come forward. Yeah, one of the things in the rule, and I spoke about this on the episode with uh, Stacy Richmond, who's uh, one of Iris' clients, a defense attorney, um, mm-hmm. was that if you, that they pay you more if you go internally first to report it, except for the fact that you're probably going to get fired, like Carl Hansen or. or vilified uh, if you actually go report something internally first. So that part of the rule is a little bit wacky in the sense of following that protocol. You're better off just potentially going straight to the government or straight to your your office to try to get the 10 or 20 percent as opposed to the 30. But um, just well, to, I, you know, hedge I your bets. I don't know if, if that's uh, – yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what you're talking – they don't mean having to go and call like, the, the, you know, the whistleblower hotline. And I think yeah. they're more talking about – you know, you see something wrong, uh, you don't just keep it to yourself and go run off to the SEC. I think that, you know, they're encouraging people to, you know, raise an issue, uh, you know, to your supervisor before and, you know, say, hey, you know, I think this is not appropriate because X, Y, and Z. And, you know, oftentimes they'll say, you know, we don't care, whatever, be quiet, whatever, and that's it. And uh, that's what they're referring to as opposed to people just keeping silent, seeing something and running off to the SEC. So, uh, well, the I Wells Fargo that. people that came forward were fired, right? The Wells Fargo people that thought these accounts were being opened improperly, I think many of them were let go. They're going to sue and they're going to win, but I believe that had happened in that case. But yeah, although that wasn't, that's not an SEC issue because that's, that's the banking side. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that, still a whistleblower. Know, the question that there is retaliation happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's somewhat dependent on how uh, the internal person handles things. Uh, my client from Monsanto, for example, uh, he did raise issues internally, uh, but he wasn't fired ever. Uh, he left on his own yeah. during the investigation of, by the SEC, but he was never fired. So you won eighty million on that one, right? He got tw- you got twenty two and a half million for your client on that. Million about, yeah. yeah, that's great. Is that your biggest award in the? At, yes. so far to date. Okay. Um, all right, let's let's move in, into Tesla here. Um, for people that are listening, and if they don't know Tesla, then. They, I don't know where they've been, but as it relates right. to as it relates to Martin Tripp, maybe start there, Marty. Uh, yeah, Marty, Martin Tripp, and what's kind of the update there, um, and maybe the quick minute or two backstory on him, just for people that are listening that may not know. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I got involved after he was gone from from uh, Tesla. So, uh, but from what I I know happened before then, uh, he you know he was uh, in the uh, for lack of a better term, in the, I don't remember the, the formal title, but electrician slash engineer uh, type of uh, area, supervisory, 
uh, not on like an assembly line or anything. Uh, and he well, they don't had, make anything anyway, so there is no assembly line. But no, go ahead. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. he, he he had some concern. His primary concerns was more environmental related to waste. Uh, you Batteries. Know, that was uh, allegedly being stored on the property, and that there was a lot more um, scrap that was being uh, developed from the the, the factory. Uh, the, talking about the Gigafactory in Nevada, uh, then was being reported, and he was concerned about that because one of his reasons for going to work for Tesla was for environmental concerns. Uh, but he also saw other things that were of concern, such as uh, uh, punctured holes in batteries of, uh, that were being placed into cars, and uh, which aren't safe and could cause fires later on down the road, uh, as well as uh, you know lowering of the standards uh, of of how they were producing the cars in the uh, the you know using of scrap that was already uh, in you know the scrap designated scrap area uh, and reused it in in new cars because they wanted to make this uh, number of five thousand uh, uh, model threes per week yep. uh, there was a, a name to do that once uh, they obviously said they surpassed that uh, since then but uh, that was the big goal at the time, and so everything was focused on that, and they were cutting, allegedly cutting corners uh, regarding that. And uh, Mr. Tripp uh, went to the, a reporter who uh, allegedly, you know, uh, was given the information regarding that, and there were some press reports about uh, that information. And as a result of that, although it didn't mention his name, uh, Tesla... Uh, uh, tracked it down that uh, they believe it was Mr. Tripp and uh, fired him uh, as well as, you know, took his information off his phone and what have you. And then uh, after he was fired, uh, he uh, they, they filed almost, you know, a day or two later a federal lawsuit against him, uh, which uh, I believe is somewhat of an overreaction, although uh, seeking $1 million, which is somewhat unusual yeah. for a uh, company such as Tesla. Unless you're and, hiding uh, something, yeah. Uh, and, and, then, uh, and then a whole other series of events took place uh, where uh, they uh, put out uh, what we believe to be false information, both to the press as well as to uh, police, regarding uh, my client having have threatened the going to the Gigafactory, being armed, and going to shoot it up. That he was a terrorist, right? This uh, Arpaio in Story County yeah. uh, was was the sheriff is the sheriff in, in where the gigafactory is located. Uh, uh, apparently, and we found out a lot of information since this happened. So, uh, you know, from the police reports and what have you, apparently, uh, they the there was a text message sent by a security person at Tesla to the uh, to the Story uh, a deputy sheriff. Uh, which in itself is unusual to report a terrorist incident via text. Uh, and then uh, apparently uh, uh, there was uh, you know, obviously an immediate investigation by the sheriff. They tracked down uh, the, the, Mr. Tripp uh, uh, and determined that the threat was not valid. Um, he also interviewed the person that supposedly took this anonymous call. Well, actually, they said it was uh, a, a friend of my, of my client, Mr. Tripp's, who called. 
they didn't say it was anonymous. Um, but when the sheriff investigated, determined it was an anonymous call. They said it was a friend of Mr. Tripp's. And according to the police reports, the, the person, uh, even if there was a call, we don't know if there was a call, <laughs> but if there was a call, according to the, the sheriff's uh, reports, uh, the uh, person uh, said that uh, Mr. Tripp actually didn't make any threats. So it's somewhat odd that from that came, number one, a report to the police of a terrorist incident, and number two, I believe the next day, uh, report to the press and the world that uh, there was uh, a, a uh, Mr. Tripp was allegedly threatening to shoot up the Gigafactory. So we're still looking into that. That forms the basis of a cancer claim of defamation, uh, along with other uh, emails sent out by Mr. Musk regarding uh, referring to my client as a saboteur, yeah. etc. So that's the story with Mr. Tripp. Um, he obviously did file, uh, that's where I came in, uh, an SEC submission relating to the things he saw uh, happening at, uh, at Tesla. Uh, the one thing that I didn't mention so far uh, that was included was the uh, uh, Model 3 numbers uh, when he apparently, uh, the, the allegation is that uh, Tesla stated, and Mr. Musk stated that they they did 3,000, they produced 3,000 cars in one week. Uh, they didn't even come close to uh, producing 3,000, uh, uh, 5,000 cars in one week. Yeah. Uh, it, based on the computers, their own computer systems, uh, which my client apparently checked. Yeah. So that was false statements given out to the investing. Public. So has he has he met with the SEC or has he just passed on information? Has he had physical meeting? Sat down with them? Uh, at this point? Well, we didn't have a physical meeting, but we had a uh, lengthy phone conference. Okay, so it's ongoing. So you don't expect yeah. anything. As far as I know, I mean, I don't, I don't keep up to date. They don't, they don't update, update whistleblowers or their attorneys as to what they're doing on, on matters. They just, as a, as needed basis, they contact. Do you think uh, they're going to group this this type of investigation into now what he's done to himself, uh, Musk, with uh, going private, funding secured? Is that is this going to no all? Doubt. I mean, that yeah. that all took place. Yeah. After. About a week or so, maybe a week and a half after that phone conference. Okay. So I'm sure that that took uh, the whole investigation uh, to a immediate turn, a uh, serious turn, and if anything, uh, instigated the SEC even more uh, than before. Right. So they haven't reached back out in the sense of after this open investigation, in which they said there is one into the funding secured in order to, because there's a pattern here, obviously, right, um, with Martin Tripp and then. We can talk briefly on Carl Hansen. Yeah, you know, well, so we don't, you know, as I said uh, to 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 uh, publicly, I don't I don't comment on, on ongoing communications with the SEC. I don't think it's gotcha. appropriate for the Understood. investigation. The other interesting employee or former employee, Carl Hansen, who was a security employee, who was at the Gigafactory, who's claiming there was a drug ring going on, who's claiming there was a theft of thirty-seven million dollars in materials that was never reported to the public. Can you, right. re- can you briefly touch on that? That seems, that seems, I mean, I certainly believe it, believe me, but uh, it seems yeah. a little outlandish. Yeah, well, that, that happened, I mean, that the uh, uh, the reporting of that happened after the whole going private issue. Uh, and, you know, yes, uh, Mr. Hansen worked for investigations under Tesla. He, they were, he was there during that whole incident with Mr. Tripp in the same Gigafactory uh, and, uh, you know, so he, he was, a I guess, an outside observer of what was going on inside at the time. Uh, but, he, you know, he, his submission focused on different things, 
namely uh, three subject areas. One is this 30, alleged $37 million theft of, uh, of raw material uh, from Tesla, uh, including copper and other raw material, uh, over a course of several months from January, I think, to June 2018, uh, which, to our knowledge, wasn't reported in the 10Q filing or otherwise, uh, and frankly wasn't properly reported to the police or authorities either for some reason, um, even though my client thought it should be. And, you know, since these thefts took place over a course of time, um, there is there was allegedly uh, an employee allegedly. who did uh, report a small theft of, of some raw material, and he was uh, summarily fired uh, as by Tesla. I don't know why that would be, but that seems to be a pattern. Uh, that if someone goes to the outside in any shape, way, shape, or form, they get terminated. And that's what happened to that one individual. And that may be what the the, uh, the sheriff was re- referring to is when he, uh, I believe he stated that there was a pending investigation by the DA's office. I'm not sure. He didn't specify how large a theft they were dealing with. But in any event, we know from the allegation of Mr. Hansen that this large theft of over the course of time of $37 million, uh, he wanted to report it to authorities, and they said they, that he should not. And that seemed to be consistent with the other issues that he raised, which is uh, there, there was an allegation of a, of a uh, uh, drug ring assigned a, uh, by his boss in Tesla to investigate a report by a uh, alleged state alleged. Uh, as well as federal task force, DEA, Story County Sheriff Task Force, that there was a drug cartel ring in Mexico that uh, had uh, components of it inside the Tesla factory that was conducting sales of cocaine and possibly other drugs. Ambien. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> Ambien, I said. Selling Ambien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Known Ambien. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there were significant sales of such inside the factory, working with people in Mexico, part of a Mexican cartel. Uh, and he was assigned to look into that and see if there were connections to, between the person who uh, worked in the factory uh, and uh, the people in Mexico. So it was a worker. Not, not, a, not a Tesla employee, per se, but I understand that a lot of the people in that factory are not technically employees. They use a lot of subcontractors, but uh, he worked in the Tesla factory subject to termination, my understanding, allegedly, according to allegedly. my client uh, of Tesla. And uh, they, instead of uh, terminating this person, they kept him on uh, at the time uh, during the investigation. Uh, my client allegedly was able allegedly. to confirm the connections with this Mexican cartel and asked to go back to law enforcement both to get more information to follow uh, up further and to give them the information that he developed. And to my, to my surprise, they told him, no, you shouldn't go back to law enforcement. We won't let you do that. Uh, we'll rather refer to some independent uh, uh, investigators or, or something to the effect I'm paraphrasing so- now. So... Um, what? unusual, and that obviously was also never reported to shareholders. Not the fact necessarily that there was this issue in the factory, but the fact that you're not cooperating with law enforcement, you're not giving back the information uh, that you've developed to law enforcement. It's obviously a serious event, and I think 
generally most normal public companies would be doing that. They'd be going, number one, firing the person if they can, and number two, the person inside the factory, and number two, uh, getting back immediately to law enforcement uh, when they, if they ask you to investigate. So, Well, there's obviously uh, that, nothing, Stuart, there's nothing normal about this particular company. I've never seen in my career anything like it, but what... Neither have I. What are the other, I mean, I'm I mean, I don't know if you can talk about this or not. Are there other employees which have reached out to you, or what is the statute of limitations from when a person leaves a company and can become a whistleblower? How does that How does that work? Well, you know, there, there are different kinds of issues when it comes to whistleblowing. So, um, you know, I, I handle, for example, in FINRA arbitrations, I've handled whistleblower cases, uh, people in the securities industry who uh, raise issues internally. Uh, I had one guy in UBS, for example, who raised issues internally. Uh, he was in uh, compliance, and they didn't do anything about it, and he kept on raising him. He maybe have sent emails to the board, what have you, and they fired him. So we brought an action uh, against uh, UBS for wrongful discharge and sued for damages. And that has nothing to do with SEC whistleblowing. That's a direct action, you know, where you, you're, you're, you're suing as a whistleblower, and every state has different whistleblower statutes uh, some are more liberals than others as to what you can actually bring an action for. Um, you know, some are, you know, like New Jersey is much more liberal as far as uh, allowing for, you know, things that would be against public policy or generally against the public will. Other states require it to be a crime, for example. So it depends what state you're in. But then you have with the SEC whistleblower program, it's a different story. Basically with that, you are simply a witness. So you're reporting it to the SEC. Um, it's up to them whether they want to move on it. Uh, if they do move on it and they uh, determine that you assisted with that process and they result in a fine of more than $1 million uh, or, or a comp- you know, restitution to uh, investors uh, of more than $1 million that's collected by the SEC, you can get anywhere from 10 to 30% uh, of that recovery. Uh, so... So, uh, so Stuart, so Stuart, if if you were a former employee and worked in accounting at Tesla or worked in a legal office and you left, let's say in February or March of last of this past year, uh, what it, is there any recourse, or are you are you saying that some of these em- employees participated potentially in it, so they don't want to whistleblow? But I would think that the SEC should be looking, obviously, at the massive turnover in the C-suite at Tesla. Also, I mean, is it safe to say? Yeah, yeah well, it's not the, the rules account for people that they expect that people who may have participated or, or may have uh, played a small role in some wrongdoing uh, would be potential whistleblowers. And the way the rule, the rule does, it doesn't give you immunity, and that's part of the reason why you need to go to a qualified lawyer who knows criminal background, right, securities, what have you, so you can judge your you know, potential ramifications. It doesn't give you immunity. You could at the same time be pursued by the SEC or even criminal, criminal authorities and be a whistleblower for the SEC. It could be the, one and the same. Um, as far as the whistleblower program, they do take it into consideration regarding that 10 to 30 percent. So they may, you know, if you played a role, uh, obviously not the main role in the, the deciding factor, sure. uh, it may impact the percentage, but not the fact that you get an award. Um, so, uh, you know, it's expected that, you know, you know, at the very least, you will be close to the wrongdoing to be able to know enough to be able to report to the SEC. So that has happened before, 
and the way it's dealt with is just a lower percentage. It's it's rare that uh, uh, I have yet to see someone where I just gave, although it's possible, where someone got a whistleblower award and also was pursued by the SEC or by criminal authorities. Well, it feels like, in this case, if the stock starts to drop, and it should, I have no idea why it's still here other than short interest, I get it, but if it starts to drop, it'll bring out basically all the roaches that are out there, right? We we both know it always tends to happen in weaker markets or if, if a company actually goes down and there's more to lose. So people that own stock in a company that work there have a lot to lose, but then all of a sudden the stock drops, they don't have really anything, and they're like, okay, screw it, I'm going to go report what's been going on. And it, this certainly feels like a house of cards. So question I have for you is, if the company goes bankrupt, which I think is likely at some point some type of reorg, where do whistleblowers fall in line with getting paid as a creditor? How does that work? Hmm. First of all, the SEC, and you're talking about, I assume you're talking about SEC whistleblowers. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah SEC uh, can go after, indiv- and often do, go after, especially under this administration, individuals. So they can go after, for example, Elon Musk personally, uh, not just uh, the, the company itself. Uh, and, you know, uh, the, 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 but the SEC would be just like any other unsecured creditor uh, when it comes to either an individual or the, the company. I think the the important factor is, and you know, I think that the, what people don't realize is that the SEC number one in the program, that one of the benefits is it allows you to be anonymous even to the SEC. In other words, you, as long as you go through an attorney like myself, you can be anonymous. The SEC doesn't have to be given your information, your name, your address, or anything about you, as long as you go through an attorney, and they're your mouthpiece. That only changes if and when you get an award, and then they need your information for tax purposes. But even with the SEC, you can be anonymous. Um, and as far as to the general public, even if you're not anonymous to the SEC, they do not reveal the fact that there's a whistleblower involved, let alone who it is ever. So the only way people would know is if you or your attorney volunteer it. So people... We- Oftentimes, the main reason they don't come forward is because their 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 fear is with that issue confidentiality, and that's why I try to get the word out that you know you, just because you you know uh, want to be a whistleblower doesn't mean you're going to be outed. You're not. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean back back in April in that episode about whistleblowing, I said if you're a Tesla whistleblower, please come forward. But I would say now, if you're a Tesla whistleblower, make sure you contact uh, Stuart Meisner because he's got your back. But are there yeah. more than so so? These these two aren't anonymous. Carl and um, Martin aren't anonymous. Are there other right. are there other anonymous Tesla employees which you're currently representing? Or um, I, I've gotten a lot of people uh, who reached out to me, uh, which cases we're still reviewing. Um, uh, uh, I, I am not in the process of filing anything yet, but I, I can be over the next couple of weeks. I'm still reviewing. There, there I have. There has been a lot of uh, feedback. Uh, and I would expect, like you said, that there have been a lot of turnover in senior positions. I think I heard today something about the the, the, head, the head of the PR or press relations yeah. or something. Yeah, I, I think that's a major departure, and I think she's she's ground zero for this whole uh, gigagate, I call it, regarding the terrorist threat incident. So I think she has a lot of information that she could reveal, but I guess it's up to her whether she wants to come forward. Yeah. So, and and these stories that you're hearing and seeing, are they people calling you or sending an email like, "I'd love to speak to you about X, Y, Z"? Are you? Does it seem credible to you? A lot of the things that you're reading right now. Oh yeah, I'm getting both via Twitter as well as through my website submissions, as well as phone calls. So all all methodologies 
uh, and uh, uh, you know the 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 usually these issues fall into the area of material omissions and misstatements, and the key with that type of uh, securities violation is the word material, and to know if you know whether you can quantify whatever it is that we're talking about so that it's significant enough to be material to a company like Tesla. I mean, we don't need a whistleblower to go back and look at all the all the comments that Musk has made as it relates to prior to every capital raise going back to the last three or four in the debt and equity markets to his right. back to the exactly. solar back to the solar city acquisition it's itself it you know it's self-evident. And uh, so I, I just don't know what it's going to take, whether whether we get a formal announcement from the SEC or whether Musk is leaving the company. And I'm convinced the reason the board is not outing Musk is they know once he's gone what's going to come out. Um, so they're just playing on the charade as long as they can. I don't know if you, you know, I know you haven't maybe looked at the company from a valuation perspective, but I'm sure right. you're, I'm sure you're just as perplexed as the rest of people with common sense about how the stock is still trading and how Musk is still at the helm. Yeah, I, I'd be honest with you, uh, and I've said this before, uh, I wouldn't, I'm, an invest, I'm not an investment advisor or a broker, so I don't give investment recommendations, but uh, I wouldn't, even if I, I, if I would touch a stock that I uh, am, uh, am legally involved with, such as in whistleblowing, I wouldn't uh, touch that stock with a 10-foot ball either way, short, long, what have you. I think what he did with his stock was turn it into a casino. <laughs> yeah. I could just as well go down to Atlantic City and play that black or red, and it's the same thing. And I don't think the SEC takes that too kindly. Well, I, you know, I said on Twitter, I th- he says two seven offsuit, and he keeps bluffing. And there's certain people that are folded, and there's certain people that you know in the Twitter feed are raising, are, are calling and raising him. And we right. want, and everyone wants to see his cards. And I don't know what right. it's going to take. Hopefully, depositions or whatever you're doing, or hopefully somebody comes out because. It's being perpetrated. And, you know, people always vilify short sellers. And I'll I'll give the example I've spoken before, Theranos, or even what you did for Monsanto. You know, if you can save people's health, you know, and also save people money from investing further, you're doing a good service. Why not? Why not make money on both ends? And, you know, I don't think people understand. And Ira doesn't like it. Ira doesn't like rats. But, you know, but uh, anyway, you know, sometimes you can do sometimes you can do good in the world uh, as a result. So, I'm sure if the market ever turns down, you're going to be busy not just with Tesla but with uh, many other companies as well. And so I'm always on the lookout. And you don't have to be an employee at a company to whistleblow. No. Yeah, exactly. As we saw no, with the Madoff. The outside outsiders have gotten awards from doing analysis of public records and and what have you, as well as you know former partners of, of CEOs and what have you can can be eligible. It doesn't have to be employees or ex-employees, and I've I've had those kind of whistleblowers. You and I are going to become good friends. I do a lot of I do a lot of research on companies, so maybe. Uh... So I've noticed. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> um, Stuart. Which could replace the big short, I guess. Well, hope, well, I think Tesla is the biggest short I've of a single company from an opportunity side that I've ever seen. I don't know when it's going to start working, but there's really right. not you know there's really not a difference in three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars a share. Because to me, it's worth zero. I don't know how it's worth more than the debt outstanding. And the bonds are obviously still trading at 85 or 86 cents, senior bonds. That pretty much tells you all you need to know. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know I, I get supply and demand of short interest and longs calling in their stock, so it can't be borrowed. I, I get all the technicals. But at, at the end of the day, I, I don't know how they're going to come through with any of the statements. And, yeah, they can make some financial entries and move some numbers around and show cash flow positive by not paying suppliers and all that jazz. But at the end of the day, I mean, taking deposits on cars that will never be made and so forth is fraud. Um, just it has 
you know, it's in different clothing. So, um, Stuart, I, I, I would love to continue this conversation, and we'll have you on again when uh, Tesla does blow up and you get these awards, and I hope you actually get paid for it because I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's only only a matter of time here. So, um, yeah, well, I've, I've said before, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm not looking for Tesla to go bankrupt because yeah, you won't get paid. It does, it'll affect the, the, you know, my clients getting an award. So, right. uh, you know, but I do uh, obviously want uh, uh, the rules to be enforced and 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 the, the SEC to do the job, to move ahead and do their job. Exactly. Well, Stuart, I won't take any more of your time. Can't thank you enough, and uh, I'm sure people out out there in the investing community are going to be excited to hear your comments here, and um, hopefully we will have you on soon again. Sounds good. Thank Stuart, you thank much. you so much. Thanks, okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Bell Street. You can subscribe to our podcast at bellstreet.com or any other service that you use to download podcasts. We'll see you next time on Bell Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson. 